The Athletic. Obviously, every game is must-win now for Arsenal. I mean, you know, they looked great against Chelsea the other night, but it's Chelsea, you know. Scunthorpe would beat Chelsea if they played them tomorrow. Let's be honest, Alisson has been saving them all the season. You know, he's, his goal's prevented, I think he's 8-9 this season. So I think that's gone a little bit under the radar. How I know he's made a couple of mistakes here and there, but generally he's been, he's been outstanding. when you're looking to get a manager to use the squad at your disposal to, to hire for Jesse Marsh and end, end the season with Sam Allardyce in charge is just negligence beyond belief. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Tim Spears and Bet365 Steve Freeth. Big Sam is back and he's got a big job, but does he have the time to save Leeds United? Manchester United slip at Brighton. Have they left the door to Champions League qualification open to the chasing pack? And as King Charles celebrates his coronation, a Man City beginning their own procession to the Premier League title, charged by the Premier League's new goal-scoring king. That's all to come here on the Weekend Preview. Erling Haaland looking for this record here. He's done it. The highest scorer in a Premier League season. Well, the number is 35 in the Premier League. It's 51 now in all competitions. Yeah, the goal-scoring machine continues to operate. We're going to start our preview by looking at the title race. So Manchester City take on Leeds at home at 3 o'clock on Saturday and Newcastle United take on Arsenal Sunday at 4.30pm kickoff. George Erling Haaland broke Alan Shearer and Andy Cole's 34-goal Premier League record on Wednesday night. I mean, what is there left to say about this goal? Not much. I'm sure we've all seen the clip doing the round on social media of um, a YouTuber talking about how Erling Haaland wouldn't score 15 goals um, on Sky Sports. I'm pretty happy that my comments when he joined at the beginning of the season on this podcast haven't been clipped up and the same has been done because I think I remember saying I wasn't sure if he would necessarily slot straight into the City team. I wasn't quite as outlandish as saying 15 goals would be a good season. Uh, Guy, if we yeah, could get I mean, that clipped been... up for next week, please, producer. Listen, <laughs> listening in, please. <laughs> Yeah, I think I even said on national radio, and that's why I mainly talk about the EFL. Yeah, I mean, it has been unbelievable what he's done. And, and as you say, there, there isn't really anything else we can we can say apart from rattle off and list off the um, achievements he's managed to pull off and speculate as to what his career is going to do from here here on. You know, I, he's obviously still incredibly young. I always think that, with, especially with strikers, when you get strikers who are the kind of physical specimens that Erling Haaland is. Well, we've never really seen that before, but certainly when you get strikers who are, you know, big and strong and powerful at a young age, often they don't really develop that late into their career and they kind of peak in their early 20s before getting a bit cumbersome later on. With Haaland, it's pretty hard to see that being the case. He's so explosive. He's so strong. His goal-scoring instinct is unbelievable. His finishing ability from pretty much any angle, um, if you if you kind of did a, a metre circumference of his body, he seems to be able to finish from anywhere the ball is put around there. It is remarkable. 
we said a lot in that first show, didn't we? Odison Eduard. I think I may have said in that same show that I thought I had a feeling that Gabriel Jesus may score more goals than Haaland. I think I said something along there those lines as well. So Let's get actually, that actually up, produce a guy. Just ignore that first show of the season. <laughs> Don't go back and find that at all. Steve, he's now on to 51 goals in all competitions. That's Erling Haaland, not Steve Freeth. What are the chances of him breaking Dixie Dean's 63 goals in a season record? Yeah, it's good to see Dixie Dean back in the limelight. I don't know if many people from well from the era previous to me actually know who Dixie Dean is. Me as a as a kid, I just remember uh, you grew up with him, didn't you? My just before, yeah, just before that. But I used to go to a. I was just be thinking about this this morning. Um, I used to go to a friend's house of the parents, and I used they used to have a a yearbook. It was sponsored by Rodman's back then. And of course, there was no internet when I was a kid back then. So you just used to scour the the Rodman's book, just looking at facts and figures. And Dixie Dean was a a name that always used to appear. So it's good to see him back from the late 20s when he scored those 63 goals in in all competitions. So we are actually, we're only four to one for him to to get 64 or more. I I suppose there's a maximum of of nine games available for him to score those 13, 13 goals or more. I did look through... The liabilities yesterday. We were twenty to one at the start of the season on Haaland scoring thirty-five Premier League goals plus this season, breaking the, the record, of course, of Cole and Shearer. And I looked how many bets we took on um, Haaland, Haaland pre-season before a ball was kicked on him to be top goal scorer. Quite a phenomenal amount of bets over over ten thousand bets on him to be top goal scorer. So it's fair to say that we've done our money on uh, on Haaland finishing top goal scorer, and he has a big chance, of course, of uh, breaking Dixie Dean's record. You didn't do a market for forty plus, did you, at the, the start of the season? At the start, no, we didn't. The, the most we did was thirty five because of the Cole Shearer record. We did do further in the season. He's twenty to one there to get fifty or more Premier League goals, which is highly unlikely. I have seen some bigger prices around for him to score forty or more. If you'd have asked me, I'd have been about two hundred to one at the start of the season for him to do that. If you'd have asked me how many to get to get 64 or more, probably I'd have been treble that probably, you know, 500 to 1 or something like that. It's just an incredible feat that he's done. He's an absolute monster. Yeah, his, his numbers are at this point absolutely ridiculous and we know there's still games left to play this season. Tim, welcome. You'll, I mean, you'll be pleased because this game's Saturday 3 o'clock and it's on the TV. This is just Tim Spears in dream world here. But in terms of Haaland... How surprised have you been at how quickly he's adapted and, and do you subscribe to the thinking that he could even get better next season? Well, he hasn't surpassed uh, Steve Ball's total of 52 goals in a season. So he's not he's not reached perfection just yet, unlike uh, unlike Bully. Um, i tell you what, Tim, just imagine if he had a first touch, Bully. He would, he would, have, got, <laughs> he, he would have got 100 goals, wouldn't he? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, George mentions about what we were saying at the start of the season, and I've been thinking about that as well this week. And I do remember us kind of saying the key to the title, and obviously then it was Man City or Liverpool, was going to be how City adapted to Haaland and, and vice versa. I think it was generally considered he had the game for the Premier League because the game he's got seems to transcend any kind of style or genre or, or country. It was just whether he had, he had the game for City. And I, I guess in terms of like, in terms of uh, build up play and, and, and getting involved in what, in what they, in what they do in terms of building attacks, you know, he, he, you can argue that he hasn't because he barely touches the ball, but because his positioning, his awareness and his strength and his finishing is so good. He just needs to be in the right place at the right time to finish off their attacking moves. And I think the the only thing that will stop him scoring even more next season, because I think he has the potential to do so, is injuries. Um, and Pep sort of mentioned that in the week when he said um, there have been times I've taken him off after an hour when he scored a hat trick, and you know that's that's to protect him because otherwise he could have picked up an injury. But otherwise, you know the attributes that he's got, 
it's hard to see uh, a weakness and he's still so young. And yeah, I, th- I think it, 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 injuries are the only thing that stop him down. Is that good? I think because he'd had a couple of injuries in his in his career, I think that was maybe something that people questioned whether he'd be durable enough for the Premier League. I, mm. I certainly didn't think he'd play the amount of games that, that he's played in the Premier League this mm. season. And they have looked after him and they've managed his fitness really well. Manchester City, I do feel the community shared. I feel like he was just trying to lull us all into a false sense of security. I, he must have been missing those chances on, on purpose because he's missed absolutely <laughs> nothing <laughs> since that day. George, the lesser-spotted Phil Foden came off the bench to score for City on Wednesday night too. How key is that ability to swap in talents for one another going to be in this busy month, this last month for City? It's going to be really important because um, whilst I think we all assume that City are going to kind of coast to the Premier League title, you know, they're going to be kept up to their task. They can't down tools uh, and just, you know, cast an eye over at the, the Champions League. You look at the game they got against Leeds coming up, um, Allardyce's first game in charge of Leeds, which we'll get on to later. And three days later, they got Real Madrid. So they're going to have to, I'm sure Pep Guardiola will, if they're ahead in the game, to make substitutions very early. We might see him rotate from, from the start. Um, but it's not a game they can really afford to lose with with Arsenal. You know, it wouldn't be a massive surprise from here if Arsenal were to win every game um, going on to the end of the campaign. Um, with City currently one point ahead. So it's going to be important. Great to see Foden back. You know, he was obviously in um, some decent form back in February and March uh, before the appendix, uh, appendicitis, um, and he's kind of being eased back into into things now. And I'm sure he'll have a massive part to play, both in terms of City trying to uh, retain their Premier League crown and over two legs against Real Madrid in, in the final afterwards if they get through. Um, it's one of City's biggest strengths, is the strength they have in depth. Um, but there's no denying that Phil Foden has... You know, right now, at least because of the form of Jack Grealish, is probably the one you'd look at being backup between now and the end of the season rather than first choice as he was before. And Grealish has played pretty much every game as well. He, he's, he's barely been taken out over the, over the second half of, of the season, which shows how pivotal he's been. And as for Arsenal, Steve, they did get back to winning ways in midweek against Chelsea. I mean, I think the five of us could play, for, play five against 11 and maybe have, get a draw against Chelsea at the moment. How is that total race market looking? You know what, Dan? I looked at the teams when they came out in midweek, and I thought Chelsea five to one. Oh, I could just have a little, little nibble at that. Arsenal might be nervous on the back of four without a win. You know, Chelsea have a history, a recent history of stopping teams winning the title when they've got nothing to play for. And I thought, yeah, I could, I could just have a little nibble at that. And then you watch the first two minutes, and you thought, wow. I have absolutely done my money because they Arsenal were at it from the off. A truly professional performance from a well coached team. Against Chelsea, were absolutely abysmal, a shambles for that first for that first half. They're actually only 150 to one to be relegated, so they're they're 50 to one to lose their last five games. They're and they won't even get 40 points if that happens. It's incredible that hasn't happened since since the 70s. The season can't can't end quick enough for Chelsea. As for Arsenal, they're out to 10 to one down. They're a double figure price now. We still think it's City's title to win at one to 20. As regards to the winning margin, we think it's going to be by four to six points. Because that's what that's what price Manchester City are to win the league at four to six. Okay, interesting. And Tim for Arsenal, it's a tough one. It's a trip to Newcastle. It will send a bit of a cold shiver down the backs of an, a number of Arsenal fans after last season's visit to St James's as well. Will this be a marker of how far they've come? Because maybe at the moment, other than going away to City, this could be the toughest place to go. I would say. Arteta was asked that the other night, and he sort of laughed at the the interviewer. Um, which I'm not going to do with you, Dan, because I, I, I respect you too much. It's, it's a good question. You know he, I don't write I the scripts as well. You know, you know that. <laughs> he, he found it insulting, I think. He was like, well, we don't need to go to Newcastle to prove 
how far we've come as a team. I, th- I think that's what he was sort of suggesting. He was like, look at what we've done this year. You know, we don't have to, we don't have to compare ourselves with last year's team anymore. It's going to be a great game. I mean, it'd be interesting if, if Newcastle beat them and then uh, win the game in hand, they'll only be seven points behind Arsenal, um, which is quite something, you know, given their respective seasons and, and where they were a couple of months ago when Newcastle were having a real blip. Newcastle have got an opportunity to effectively end, well, end Arsenal's faint title hopes and also effectively seal Champions League qualification for themselves. So it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Obviously, every game is must-win now for Arsenal. I mean, you know, they look great against Chelsea the other night, but it's Chelsea, you know. Scunthorpe would beat Chelsea if they played them tomorrow. But if both teams have the kind of mentality of going into it with that kind of must-win approach, which you think they will, it, sh- it, sh- it should be... Um, uh, it should be a really good game. Looking forward to it, Dan. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching that on Sunday. That'll be one of the, one of the, the biggest games of the season, I, I think. And the atmosphere at St James's Park for a game like that will be absolutely incredible. And next, we're going to look at how Newcastle is shaping up for that one, as well as the rest of the European football contenders. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Right then, let's look at those European football contenders. It's the Athletic Football Podcast derby as Wolves take on Villa at three o'clock. Liverpool v Brentford Saturday tea time. West Ham are against Manchester United Sunday evening at seven, whilst the Monday night football this week is Brighton against Everton. We touched on Arsenal before the break and obviously Newcastle are European contenders as well. They've only lost once at home all season, but had to come from behind actually to beat Southampton last weekend. Was that another sign of the mentality that's been implemented by Eddie Howe, George? Yeah, I think it's easy when a team comes back from behind to say, you know, it's the mentality. But I think realistically, it was just, you know, the quality. Uh, It wasn't like Southampton caused Newcastle loads of problems. Um, They only had four shots in the game, the fourth of which was the goal just after, you know, just before halftime. But even up to that point, Newcastle had been the better side. In the second half, it was just a total onslaught and they just tore them apart basically at will. You know, so I think it's, yeah, I, I guess... When you come back from behind, it's, it shows that your team, you know, are able to put a, a you know a bit of a blow behind them quickly. But realistically, this is just a team who are very much at a top four level. And I'm, you know, really interested. And I don't know if Steve will be able to tell us at this stage now, where it, look, it looks like we can be pretty confident, if not 100% confident, that Newcastle will play Champions League football next season, and what that will bring them in terms of their pulling power when it comes to the, you know, the, the transfer market. Um, where what kind of a price Newcastle will be for the Premier League next season? 16. 16 to 1, something like that. Third fives? Mm, no. Four, maybe. Interesting. Because I, I mean, I, I, it's interesting as well that we, at this stage, obviously there are rumours about Neymar, um, given his situation at PSG with, um, you know, Newcastle being a... a, a 
he would be the kind of signing that would signify their their new position within world football. But there aren't loads of rumours around as to who Newcastle are going to attract. But I think we'd be fairly confident that the money is going to be spent to try and elevate this this squad even further. And when you look at the job that Eddie Howe has done with this group of players, like it, I don't think it would take that much in terms of quality to elevate them to being a title challenger. Tim, how decisive could this weekend be? in the top four battle with Newcastle at home to Arsenal, of course, and Manchester United away at West Ham. If Liverpool have any remaining hope, surely they'll need to make it six in a row against Brentford, Tim? They'll need to make it nine in a row or ten in a row, depending on how many games they've got left. They've got to win every game. I mean, it's not really a, it's still not really a battle yet. We're probably building it up a little bit more than it, than it is right now. However, Man United just look slightly vulnerable. I mean, Newcastle are basically fine. They've got two... They've got two more points than Man United. They've got basically three more points because of their goal difference, which is 34 compared to Man United's nine, which is incredible, really. But more in terms of form, you can't see, you can't, Newcastle looks so good at the moment. You can't see them possibly being caught. But United do look slightly more vulnerable. Obviously, they're, they lost at Brighton. Uh, they drew at Spurs when they were 2 0 up. They were unconvincing in the FA Cup semi, albeit they scraped through on penalties. They obviously had the disaster in, in Seville. So that's sort of, you know, those are all in sort of the last two or three weeks and injuries have played a big part in that. And it's a long season catching up for United. Liverpool are going on the surge. I think we all we all kind of have expected them to at some point. I think when they got knocked out of Europe, we thought this would happen. But have they left it too late? You know, if, if they beat Brentford on Saturday, the gap will be down to one point ahead of United's game at West Ham on Sunday. Obviously, they'll have two games in hand. But, you know, it's not an easy place to go. No. We know West Ham love putting over one over on Man United. They've done it before late in the season. I remember that was it the last game at Upton Park when they beat them three two, and of course that 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 famous one in ninety five when they stopped Man United winning the title. So they'll be up for it. And yeah, there has been a momentum shift. It's just whether it comes too late for Liverpool. But they are capable of winning their last four games, which are Brentford, Leicester, Villa, and Southampton. But I think I think they've left it too late. Steve, a bet three six five giving Liverpool any hope. Well, they were ten to one, Dan, less than a month ago. So they're into seven to two now. So they they did need snookers previously, and like Tim's touched upon, you know, the winning games, and they are now, and they've also got a number of winnable games left as well. Manchester United looking tired. Their fixtures aren't great. West Ham still need to win. Of course, they're twenty five to one for the drop. They might have half an eye on the Conference League, which is uh, which is later in the week. Um, so it's. It's looking good for Liverpool, but you know, seven or two chances do win. And let's I'll also mention Brighton in there at uh, at sixteen to one. They have a lot to do. Newcastle look away and gone. They're twenty to one on to be playing Champions League football. And it's still very much advantage Manchester United, who are one to six to finish in the top four. George, we mentioned Liverpool before, who made it five wins a row on Wednesday night at home to Fulham. Actually the first time this season that they've won five in a row. Have they left it too late to save their Champions League hopes though? Maybe not. Maybe not, given what happened uh, on Thursday night between Brighton and Manchester United. Almost surprised that Alexis McAllister didn't take off his Brighton shirt and put on a Liverpool shirt to slot home that penalty in the 99th minute, given the rumours around where he might be next season. And that could be a pretty big penalty in terms of trying to get them uh, Champions League football next season. Yeah, that, I mean, it was as big a result for Liverpool that as, as, as it was for Brighton, because it really does mean that now... As Steve says, with with Liverpool's a seven or two shot, just four points shy of Manchester United, and, and certainly in better form. You know, if they were to maintain that form over the last four games and get up to, I mean, that would take them to seventy one points. Then that really puts the pressure on United to get what nine points between now and the end of the season. Uh, and United aren't in in great shape right now, so I mean, they probably have left it too late. I, I think it's been a, a pretty poor season by Liverpool standards. 
but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be backing the seven or two for them to get there. But it's certainly a possibility at this stage. Steve, any odds on a, a certain goalkeeper recreating what he oh, did a few years ago? God, you you love rubbing it in, don't you? Yeah. Well, let's be honest. <laughs> I've forgotten let's he was against West Brom. In all honesty. Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. Let's be honest. Allison has been saving them all season. You know, he's. His goals prevented, I think he's eight, nine this season. So I think that's gone a little bit under the radar. How I know he's made a couple of mistakes here and there, but generally he's been he's been outstanding. They did keep a rare clean sheet against Fulham, of course. And Albion's manager at the time there conceding a goal from a from a goalkeeper, Sam Allardyce. Pep, Klopp, or Arteta wouldn't have conceded from a goalkeeper. No, no we're coming on to Sam, of course, later on in the show. Tim, let's look at Villa been going really well then Steve Free turned up to watch them and they lost at Manchester United so first defeat in 11 matches it is a trip to Molyneux this weekend to take on Wolves who are on the back of a 6-0 defeat themselves what went wrong for Wolves at Brighton uh, no it's, it's it's fine Dan and the competitive season's over basically so uh, Wolves are playing uh, friendlies at the moment and Brighton are everyone's favourite second team so you know Wolves are just giving them a hand in their push for Europe no problem. No, it was it was very it was yeah very alarming for Wolves last weekend. I've got to say one of many sort of very strange big scorelines we've had in this in this weird season. Just from Wolves' point of view, that they're at this point now where they've had sort of three managers in two years, a, a lot of money spent. There's a real mix of players in there, and some of them just won't play for the club again. I don't think Jimenez, Johnny, Neves might leave. Martinho is probably going to go. Traore is probably going to go. You know, it's a real. There's a lot of players there who know they're not going to be playing at the club next season, and once safety's been secured, they've obviously um, they've obviously down tools to a certain extent. I don't think you can say any other way, really. Um, but that'll be it for so this yeah, one, of um, course. Yeah, yeah. This is a great game from Wolves' point of view to have next. I think you know Villa at home on a Saturday afternoon. It's it's not a proper derby as we know, Dan, but it's 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 a it's a derby to some extent. Certainly the only one that both teams have got this year because. Uh, West Brom are still in the championship oh, um, as a Birmingham for. City. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just stating <laughs> facts, Steve. Um, that's far. That's horrible. <laughs> just stating facts. So yeah, um, this is the closest thing the both teams got to a derby this year. So yeah, it'd be good. Um, uh, Wolves have just, just got a, again, maybe another point just to sort of guarantee safety. They're on 37. But yeah, beating Villa would be the ideal way to, to secure it for, for Wolves. And yeah, it, it it, it it should be a decent it should be a decent game. Obviously, Villa have been in a lot better form than Wolves um, over the past couple, few weeks and months, but Wolves will give them a good game for sure. Yeah, look, if if the roles were reversed and Wolves were going for Europe and Villa had the chance to try and trip them up and and stop that, the Villa fans would take great pleasure in that. As I'm sure the Wolves fans will if they manage to do it to, to Villa on Saturday. Villa weren't great against Manchester United, not their best performance in recent weeks. But nowadays, even when they're not great. They still nearly take something from the game and we're arguably unlucky not to take something from the game. So one defeat doesn't undo the great work that Unai Emery's done this year and he must be in with a shout of manager of the year depending on where Villa finish. Tim, whilst I've got you, must touch on Spurs at home to Palace on Saturday at three o'clock. That club, after after going 3-0 down inside 15 minutes at Anfield, were you fearing the worst for them? Well, their last three games, they've gone 5-0 down, 2-0 down and 3-0 down. Which is remarkable, really. I, th- I mean, I thought they rallied really well. Obviously, you've got to say that because they brought it back to 3-3. But even before that, they, they, they created a lot of chances, hit the post a couple of times. Um, because, yeah, they were heading for another disaster. But obviously, Ryan Mason, as we were saying last week, has, has instilled some some minimum sort of fighting spirit and, and pride in them, I guess, which is where they should have been anyway. But, yeah, to be fair, they're coming from behind all 
all season. Yeah, they, they, have. they had a habit of comebacks before Christmas, but that's mostly because they just concede the first goal a lot. I think they've fallen behind in 19, 19 times this season, so more than half their games. But yeah, with with Spurs, I mean, we talk about them in the European race, but it feels completely irrelevant to me. And I, I think most Spurs fans would echo those feelings that, okay, Europa League might be okay, but Conference League or not? I, I mean, they basically forfeited the Conference League the last time they were in it. If you remember, Nuno left everybody at home when they went to Vitesse Arnhem, I think, or somewhere in Holland. So yeah, if, if I was if I was going to be the new Spurs manager, I, I wouldn't be bothered about Europe. And I think they've got the squad to go deep in the Europa League next year and sort of fight for the top four again. Uh, we, and we've seen clubs benefit in the past from not being in Europe. Arsenal last season, I guess, spring to mind, which sort of, laid, you know, they finished fifth and sort of laid the groundwork for what we've seen this season. In Liverpool have a season as well, um, where they came Liverpool second, had one. really close. Chelsea won the title under Conte, I think, because uh, they'd finished so low under half Mourinho the year before, hadn't they? Mm. So they had no European football when they won the title. So I'm not saying Spurs are going to do that, but I do think it would help the new manager. And, you know, you'd expect him to be named fairly soon to have um, more time on the training pitch next season. So, yeah, you ask any Spurs fan right now, I basically think that they're wishing the season away and, and they don't really care where they finish, to be honest. I think after last night's result, I think Liverpool and Brighton are probably fifth and sixth looking for Europa League football. And then it's going to be mm. a shootout between Villa and Villa and Spurs. But for seventh, I think, I think qualifying for the Conference League would mean more to Villa than, than it does to, to Tottenham. Yeah. I think Villa's fixtures are, are really interesting now. They've still got to play Liverpool, Spurs and Brighton. So, you know, they're kind of six-pointers, aren't they, in, in in this race for Europe? So I think Villa's fixture list going into the back end of the season is really, really interesting. But, you know, with, with you know, Emi's record in, in Europe, Dan, and, and you look at what West Ham have done in the Conference League this mm. season, there's, there's, you'd already think of an opportunity to, to potentially challenge for a European trophy for Villa next season. Um, which would be something. Yeah, and of course, they have won one before, as Steve, as Steve knows. Steve, finally for the European contenders, Brighton, who did put six past Wolves. Sorry again, Tim. Have we mentioned that yet? A word for their recruitment. Deserby shuffled his pack and they come up with their biggest win of the season last last weekend. And then they win again last night with with a couple of players coming in from the cold who will no doubt go on to be superstars and be sold for £60 million this time next year. But that, what? what a team. Yeah, uh, Albion always beat Wolves. Do you know that? Um, Brighton Hove Albion and West Bromwich Albion. In fact, Big Sam, Big Sam's first win as Albion manager was actually down the Custard Bowl. And we were absolutely rubbish. We were there for the taking and Wolves still couldn't beat us, even though we got relegated. Um, yeah, as, as for Brighton Hove Albion. So I, yeah. I can't hear you from down there in, down there in the Championship, <laughs> Steve. Sorry, my headphones not working. Yeah, you know, done the double over, done the double over Manchester United, four off Liverpool. Um, they've got Arsenal, Man City, Newcastle still to play. They've dropped a load of points against the middle of the road teams like Villa, uh, Brentford, and um, and Spurs. Yeah, I think haven't we done the recruitment to death? Is, doesn't everyone talk to it? They're just such the it envy. Just of continues football. though. It's just ridiculous. They're, they're, the, they're the envy of, of of football right now. And I've heard a whisper that they've got another little gem coming their way. It'll probably get sent to uh, Belgium to go on loan. Um, James Milner, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he might, uh, they'll send him off on loan. He'll come back after two years and be absolutely brilliant. You know what he's like. Um, one thing I would say, a couple of things, they were favourites to beat Manchester United in the, in the semi-final. They were touching odds on to beat them last night at home, which is incredible. You know, players leave, personnel leave, managers leave. They still come back even stronger. Alexis McAllister looks to be the, uh, the next one. He's now one to three to be a Liverpool player at the start of uh, next season, at the end of the transfer window. And he's, he's touching double figures to still be a Brighton player. But you know what? 
Brighton will survive. Yeah, Matoma is just just electric as well. They integrate these players so so smartly and 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 so slowly. Where's Enciso been? All season, suddenly he comes into the team at the, at the back end of the, of the season, and he looks absolutely brilliant as as well. Something going on at, at Brighton; they shouldn't get it right every time, but yet, yet they seem to. George, I'm just going to come back to you because you want to talk about Manchester United and the job Eric Ten Hag has done. Said earlier in the season, you might see them slipping out the top four. Is that still the case? Possibly, as I said with the Liverpool question, like it, it, it's certainly not done there in the top four, and the, and the result last night doesn't help. But in terms of the job that Ten Hag has done, you know, I, it's often I think managers are, are judged on kind of mid-season performance towards the back end of campaigns, and because seasons last the best part of a year, you kind of forget where they started from. And I think, regardless of of whether. United would be seen to have bottled a top four challenge if they were to fall out of it now. I think you have to go back and, and remind yourself where Manchester United were in the summer and where they are now in terms of winning the Carabao Cup, being in the final of the FA Cup, being in the top four for most of the season, beating Barcelona over two legs in the Europa League. Like There is so much positive that happened at Old Trafford over the last year or so that even if Liverpool were to pip them to, to, to fourth spot, I think Ten Hag has a lot of credit in the bank for his first his first year in charge. And even when you just watch them, you know, they're a completely different side to how they were previously. You know, you've got players, individual players who've more massively, you think back to players like Luke Shaw and Wan-Bissaka, whose time at Manchester United looked to be over, have now, you know, who are now elite players again. Marcus Rashford's form this season as well. You know, I think United have been uh, a waking up after a decade or so of malaise and that's thanks to the manager let's finish this segment then with the trivia and this week's question from producer guy is sam allardyce is one of seven managers to take charge of at least 400 games in the premier league who are the other six so ferguson's obviously the banker he just can't <laughs> take it because we've out tacticed him we've out witted him venga <laughs> Venga, yeah. okay. he just can't take it because we've out tacticed him, we've out witted him. Uh, uh, Moyes, yeah, he just can't take it because we've out tacticed him, we've out witted him. Uh, We're halfway there, three more for us to get. I mean, it's Harry did, he must have done yeah, it. Yeah. He just can't take it because Steve. we've out tacticed him. I say Harry every week, yeah, right? finally, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, two more. <laughs> How long's clock been there? No, he's not. I'm not saying that answer, producer. No, I'm not saying that. I was uh, going to say I don't think clock would quite be there. Uh, Jose wouldn't be there either, would he? No. I mean, actually, I, mean, what, I think he's done four seasons at Chelsea. No, he's done. I don't think Jose. Would two be seasons there. at United. United. What about Roy? Roy, has he? Uh, yeah, no. Yeah, Roy would have done no. more than. No, I don't, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, Fulham, West Brom, Liverpool, Palace for a few seasons. Yeah, you th- yeah, it's probably a sensible one. That's probably the next sense. If, if someone wants to say it. Roy Hudson. <laughs> I'm going to be ah! crying in the wine. How's that wrong? Jose Mourinho. No, that's wrong. I'm going to be crying in the wine. Crying in the wine. Uh, Brucey. Uh... He just can't take it because we've out-tacticed him, we've out-witted him. Uh... Bruce has reached 400 in the Premier League and Hodgson hasn't. I wonder how many Hodgson has reached. One more then. Oh, yeah. Well, you got it. He managed to appear, didn't he? Go on. Hughes, sorry now. Mark. He just can't <laughs> yeah. take it because we've out-tacticed him, we've out-witted him. Uh, good performance from Steve there this week. Well done, yeah. well, well done Steve. At this point, we've got a, couple, got a couple around. I'm still amazed Roy Hodgson hasn't hit 400 games. And Bruce has. I feel like Bruce has been in the championship for a lot of his, a lot of his career. 
Wow. Okay. Goes a decent effort from us this week. I think better than the the previous two weeks. Steve, Steve Free definitely man of the match. You're listening to the weekend preview from the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm going to be crying in my wine. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Time now to talk about the relegation battle with Leeds, of course, being at Manchester City Saturday at three o'clock. And then there's three games on Monday as Fulham take on Leicester, Brighton v Everton and Nottingham Forest finish it against Southampton. Steve, Forest were ahead, then lost. Leeds took another pasting and Everton and Leicester. It was a great game. What's last week's action done to the relegation market? It was a great game, wasn't it? That Leicester game was brilliant, uh, Everton. Uh, Southampton basically down our 20 to 1 to stay up, so it looks done. It looks only two from four now. And and, and Sam, of course, who we're going to touch on shortly, has, uh, has strolled in and he's 11 to 8 to guide uh, Leeds to safety, so he has a he has a job on his hands. Everton are 4 to 6 to be relegated. Uh, Nottingham Forest are all are 5 to 6. And Leicester City at seven to four. It's uh, it's nicely poised. Yeah, we mentioned Leeds losing at Bournemouth, the second club in two weeks to sack an interim manager. Watch out, Frank Lampard. But Big Sam is in. It's Bielsa to Big Sam in fifteen months. George, what's your take on that one? Well, I mean, where do you start, really, in terms of succession planning? You know, normally I think you can point the finger at <clears throat> the decision makers. Here, it's obviously Victor Orta. Um, but I think in terms of of the Bielsa. Succession. They went after a manager in Jesse March, whose style of football, at least in his mentality and his philosophy around the game, was kind of aligned with Bielsa, where it was all about the high press and all about um, you know looking to play a high tempo game. And then because you know this is the issue that we have, where relegation is so unbelievably costly to these football clubs, that as soon as there is a hint or a sniff of of it being an issue, suddenly all the planning and all the the work that goes on behind the scenes in order to to get you to where you got to goes out the window and, and Javi Gracia was kind of the midway point between Marsh and now where we are with, with with Sam Allardyce. Now, I think there's a lot of snobbery around Sam Allardyce and whilst I'm not going to go as far as, you know, saying that I think he's better than Pep, Klopp and Arteta or, or you know, beyond them in terms of his footballing now, he is somebody who gets results consistently. He is somebody who for all of the kind of dinosaur labels that are, that are thrown at him has, is someone who used stats at a time where stats weren't really a big part of, of the game. He's in, very invested in sports science. But having said that, the, the football itself is attritional at best. You know, you look back to his, his baggy side um, from a few years ago and they played one of the lowest blocks I think we've ever seen in the Premier League in the time that he was there. And, you know, teams who weren't even particularly possession heavy were, were camped in, in West Brom's half and he nearly got the results. You know, he wasn't far away from, from getting the results needed to keep them up. It, it didn't happen. He was finally relegated from the Premier League, but he made a decent fist of it. But in terms of, you know, when you're looking to get a manager to use the squad at your disposal, 
to, to hire for Jesse Marsh and then end the season with Sam Allardyce in charge is just negligence beyond belief. And, you know, Victor Walters obviously lost his job off the back of it. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Leeds do stay up, personally. I know that their, their next two games are difficult, but I think Allardyce is someone who is a bit of a master at understanding how to eke your way out of trouble in, in games of football. We've seen Neil Warnock do it at Huddersfield over the last few weeks. And it wouldn't surprise me from a much you know, less perilous position if, if Allardyce is able to do it as well. That's not to say I think it's the best appointment, but I can see why they've done it. Yeah, Big Sam's got this, hasn't he, Tim? That was some news conference in the week. I tuned in and watched the whole thing live, even taking on the British justice system. What a guy. Yeah, he's better. He's probably better than Pep at down in pints of wine. I'll give him that. Not sure what else, though. I don't know. It's, it's arrogance has gone to another level in the past few years. I'm not just talking about that. It's for show, though, isn't it? Mate, I don't know really. I mean, it's for show on his podcast that he does. He's obviously, he's just, he's sounded increasingly bitter to me, I think, in terms of he'll often point to his career successes and he's bitter about the criticism he's, he's received and the way he's perceived, which I think a lot of that is, um, is unjust and he's right to point that out. And George has made some good points there and he has been successful. The problem is for Leeds that you can mostly put his sort of success before, before England, I would say, you know, post England, I think is, failed at West Brom and I know he sort of stabilised Everton when he was there but the football yeah was 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 horrendous and he was utterly berated for that so I guess Leeds are hoping for like an instant Roy Hodgson style impact the difference is Palace had a great run of fixtures against teams below them in the table whereas Leeds play City and Newcastle I'm not sure what even Big Sam can do with that to be honest so yeah it doesn't look great for Leeds even though even though I think they were right to make it make a change um it's hard to make a case for them staying up Steve what are the odds looking like for who to be Leeds manager on the first day of next season yeah Sam Sammy's favorite and just a final point on 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 Allardyce when he was at the Albion he only kept four clean sheets um when he did take over there, I know he's known for his defensive um, now. Admittedly, it, was, it wasn't a great time to, to clearly take over and we conceded 50 goals. Um, however, we did win at Stamford Bridge 5-2 in a very entertaining game. We drew at Liverpool. So, And, and as Tim's touched upon there, I, I, I agree with you. He does, he does seem a little bit bitter about what he's done previously. Maybe the England job as well. It obviously, it hurts as well. I, I actually quite like him and I don't know whether his comments about Klopp, Arteta, etc. have been taken out of context because I didn't see um, in real time. They haven't. But it, no, okay. It's well, it's sure to be an interesting final final few games and he's, he's, he's five to one not to take any points from those remaining games. But he does remain favourite to, to be in charge on the 1st of September, actually. He's, he's the three to one favourite. The best back manager, you won't believe who this is, the best back manager to be there next season, Bielsa. Whether he's been spotted walking around with a carrier bag in Weatherby, I do not know, but he's second favourite at 7-1. to one. Brendan Rodgers, he's Hassan Hootle at 8. Carlos Corberan, of course, with the links with Leeds, he's at 8. And here's one left field, George, you might be interested in this. Russell Martin, 8-1. to one. Interesting. I thought you were going to say Carl Robinson. Uh, no. <laughs> I, thought he was, I thought he was going to say Robbie Keane. So, yeah, it's quite an eclectic backroom staff that Sam's Sam's acquired as well. I think his comments about being better than Pep, etc. In some ways, I think he's just trying to take the heat off his players and get people talking about him. Maybe that's the only reason I can think as, well, to, I, as to why he would I, say that. But also, when was you he look talking at what knowledge? Pep said in, was he in talking reply, knowledge? I don't know. I, I think he was. It's just classic mind games. He was just trying to get Pep riled up before their game, wasn't he? And then Pep came out and said more absolute nonsense as well that he clearly doesn't believe just to say I'm not falling for this thank you let's move on yeah he did Pep basically agreed didn't he 
Yeah, he's better than me. Yeah. yeah. yeah so not there's no way <laughs> Pep Guardiola believes what he said. And there's no way that Big Sam believes what he said either. I'd love to see Sam in like a good stone, a nice Stone Island roll neck or something like that at the weekend against Man City. That'd be brilliant. Love that. Tim, you recently took in your relegation road trip and saw Forrest blow a lead at home to Wolves. They've actually failed to win nine of the 15 games they've scored first in, drawing four and losing five. Is that, among other things, what will seal their fate? Yeah, I guess I guess more you're looking at their inability to kill off games because they just don't have enough goal scorers in the, in the squad. They've only got two players with consistent end product, which would be Brennan Johnson. He's got 10 goals, two assists, and then Morgan Gibbs-White with four goals and six assists. Otherwise, you know, that that's about it, really. Obviously, Lingard's been a huge disappointment, and they haven't got the other attacking players to make up the shortfall. So, th- th- I mean, th- there are signs of encouragement for Forrest in recent weeks, yeah. I've got to say. You know, they, they pushed Liverpool all the way at Anfield. Obviously, they beat Brighton, lost very late at Brentford, but, you know, they're in games. Forrest fans are obviously in- incredibly worried, but... What you've got to say with Forest, they've been handed a fantastic opportunity because we talk about Leeds' fixtures there. Forest obviously got four games left, but their next two opponents are the most beatable teams in the Premier League at this moment in time, who are Southampton and Chelsea. Yeah. So they have an opportunity, you know. It's got to be four points minimum from those two games. Have to has to be. After that they've got Arsenal and Palace. Two very difficult games, so yeah, it's um, it's it's coming to all or nothing time for for Forest. I mean, if they ma- if they manage to beat Southampton, which if they don't, then they don't deserve to stay up. To be honest, Southampton at home, you know, you've got to win that. If they manage to beat Southampton and Chelsea, they'd be on thirty six. That, that might that might be enough, you know. So there's a massive incentive there. It's, you know, we talk about atmospheres, St James's Park, whatever. It's it's going to be something at, at the City Ground on um, on Monday night. I think they can just about do it. I, yeah. I think they might they might just might just scrape up, but it's, it's going to be incredibly tight. I would also say they'd probably been offered where they are now at the start of the season. Yeah, they'd probably. have potentially taken it. They're not, you know, they're not cut adrift. They've they've still got a chance. Maybe to, they've got they've got this big I, I think game they, to play. Four they thought they'd there. kick on, didn't they, in January with all those signings? But all all it did was sort of muddy the waters for, mm. for Steve Cooper in terms of selection. You are right, though. I think in some strange way they'll have taken some confidence from that that Liverpool game, and even even that Brentford game. They were ahead for so long in that game, and then to to, to mm. lose it the way they did, absolutely horrible. George Southampton can't mathematically be relegated this weekend, but the back the gap, sorry, would become nine points if they do lose at. Forest, so they're as good as gone, aren't they? Yeah, it looks that way. Um, there's nothing really in their performances and results to suggest that they are going to be able to get out of this. Um, they are uh, going to be the first team to get relegated back to the championship. It's been a miserable campaign for them. Um, I think when you end the season losing basically every game with a caretaker manager in charge, it's kind of a sign that things haven't really gone particularly well. Going to be interesting to see how they how they fare next season. You know, unlike other teams that get relegated um, out of the Premier League. There aren't loads of players who you think would be picked off by by kind of Premier League clubs. I think we'll probably see James Ward-Prowse leave. I think we'll see Lavia uh, leave as well. But for the most part, their recruitment has been either kind of top championship players, so the likes of Shea Adams, Adam Armstrong, um, who you think will probably stay there and be with them in the championship next season. And then younger talents who maybe, you know, they'll, they'll be able to retain going forward. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Without knowing who their manager is going to be next season, you know, with every game that goes by, it feels like Sellers probably won't get the job long term. Uh, it's kind of hard to analyse what what kind of a, a side they're going to be um, next season. But having seen Norwich and Watford both struggle massively in the Championship this season, 
I don't see too many reasons why you'd be, you'd be bullish on them uh, coming down and being a, a force immediately. Well, you mentioned Everton last week as possible favourites if pricing up a championship market for next season. Now, Do you, would they be better set up than, than Southampton? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I agree with that. I think they would be. I think often, especially Premier League fans judge you know a, a team who are in a bit of trouble in the Premier League and think that they're not going to be able to um, you know to, to bounce back it was the same with Burnley last year Burnley despite finishing 18th seen by most people as being the most likely to struggle again in the campaign after despite picking up kind of 10 more points than both Norwich and Watford and that wasn't the case I think Everton have a manager in Sean Dyche who if we assume he'll stay at the club next season He's achieved a promotion out of the championship in the last two two times he's managed in the league, both with Burnley. They've got loads of players who've been you know, top-level championship players fairly recently, whether that's Tarkovsky, whether that's Keane. I mean, we know, obviously, a lot of these players may move on, but the chances are, like with Burnley last season, a fair few of them will stay. Uh, McNeil as well. James Garner was brilliant for Forest when they came up. Um, I think there's just enough at the club where also considering the new stadium situation and the financial issues that would come with Everton not bouncing back up, they don't have time in order to, um, you know, to, to kind of take their time to plot their way back in. And this isn't a good thing. I think for, you know, the one of the biggest issues we've got in the English game is that championship clubs gamble way too much on trying to get to the Premier League, overspend. And as Steve knows uh, with his team, that can have existential issues to these football clubs, which is what West Brom are going through at the moment and could easily get pretty, um, you know, could get pretty da- dangerous this summer if if they don't manage to pull their way into the playoffs and, and up into the Premier League. But for Everton, I think the stakes are going to be that high where if they do get relegated, they're going to have to throw everything at this with the parachute payments to support them because if they're still uh, a championship side in three years' time, financially it feels like the club would be in a in a really, really dark place. Steve, what price would Southampton and Everton be in the championship next season? Southampton would actually be double the price, I would have thought, of, of some somebody like Everton. I'd imagine Everton will go off or start around five to one. Um likewise Leicester and Forest, if they get relegated, they'll be around the six to one mark. And Southampton might even be touching double figures. So maybe disrespectful to Southampton just a little bit, but that's where as a rough guess, that's where I um, I see the market going. So the value could be Southampton. Okay, let's talk Leicester then, Steve. Jamie Vardy has scored in successive Premier League games. Is he coming to Leicester's rescue at just the right time? I hope so, because I know he winds up opposition fans and he used to love that, the Albion as well, because he always used to score there like many like many strikers. Um, maybe he's got a new lease of life and... Uh, under the new management team, arm around the shoulder. He's, he played 90 minutes, didn't he, against Everton. Seems to be running the channels just a little bit more, you know, a bit more, a bit more energy. He still he looks as fit as a fiddle, maybe not as as quick as he as he used to be. But he he needs he needs to be scoring goals because Leicester can't just keep clean sheets, can they? And that's with Daniel Everson playing well. Oh, you know, he's uh, he, he's been excellent. I think there's been rumours about him going out. Um, next season somewhere I don't know whether permanent or anything like that but surely you know he's he'll stay at Leicester you know I know they're only small sample sizes but but he's been he's been absolutely brilliant so um, it's, it's good to see him do well he could well be their hero from now towards the end of the season Jamie Vardy might also fill that but they're waiting for one player to come back King Johnny Evans then they'll keep a clean sheet Tim, is anyone saving themselves at the moment in your eyes in this relegation battle? Everton did look quite threatening against Leicester, but was that just a case of circumstance of who they were facing or was there, there signs of life there? Who is there anyone in the relegation battle that you're thinking, I, th- I think they're going to get out of it? 
you're kind of waiting for it with Everton, you know, like they did under Lampard last season. But it's just not, it's just not happened. And they were, you couldn't, you couldn't pick two more difficult games now. Brighton away, Man City at home. It's really desperate for Everton. Um, I mean, they were so, I, I mean, it was a great game against Leicester, like, like you've all said, but it was so open. It's so not a Sean Dyche, you know, stoic defence, play for a point kind of kind of game. That huge XG was it more than it was more than five, wasn't it? In the first half, the most in the Premier League this season. Uh, yeah, they can't go and do that against Brighton uh, this weekend. You know, if a team as good as Wolves can lose six 0 at Brighton, then Everton could be in double figures here. You know, it just looks so desperate for them. I think they needed to win at Leicester. It's so hard to call. I mean, we were all we were all had Bournemouth doomed a few yeah. weeks ago and now they're you know they're nearly in the top half now. But with so few games to go, the form and the momentum and the fixtures really do really do obviously matter now. Uh, and looking at form and fixtures, you have to say Leeds Leeds and Everton are, are, are massively at risk here. So those are our featured games to look out for this weekend, with this being how your weekend looks in full. It gets underway with four three o'clock kickoffs on Saturday with Manchester City v Leeds live on Sky Sports, whereas elsewhere it's Bournemouth, Chelsea, Spurs, Palace and Wolves Villa. The Saturday tea time game sees Liverpool welcome Brentford to Anfield. Then there's two games on Sunday, Newcastle v Arsenal at 4.30 before Manchester United's trip to West Ham at 7.30 and then there's those three games to come on Monday. At 3 o'clock it's Fulham v Leicester followed by at 5.30 Brighton Everton and finally at 8 o'clock Forest take on Southampton at the City Ground. Steve it's over to you for the six scores challenge or as we call it the zero score challenge. Yeah I'm going to have a different... uh approach to this we're not going to get any right guys this week okay we're not going to win any money whatsoever so this is that's what, that's what we've done all, that's what we've done all season yeah okay yeah and just to remind people this is the free to play six scores challenge with a million pound up for grabs consolation prizes for getting three correct scores four or five just one or two guys wouldn't it let's be have honest we ever got, have we ever got have we ever even got two right in a week i don't think we have don't think so. Damn, no, I don't think so. But we'll, we'll, you know, Big Sam's in town. It's, 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 it's going to start this weekend, and I'm going to start with Big Sam, and I'm going to start with George. Manchester City leads George two nil two <laughs> to City home win. Okay, okay. Uh, Bournemouth versus Chelsea one all. Getting Chelsea to that forty point mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They need to. Tim Spurs Palace nil uh, two. Uh, Liverpool versus Brentford. 4-1. And uh, Daniel, Newcastle versus Arsenal. 2-1 to Newcastle. And we'll finish with West Ham versus Manchester United. 1-1. Mm, this is it, boys. Yeah. This is it. No one, no one's better at the six-score challenge than, than us. Not Pep, exactly not Arteta, that. not Klopp, <laughs> not, not anyone. We're the best at the six score challenge and that is it from us here at the weekend preview the athletic football podcast will be back on monday following the weekend's action until then enjoy your weekend enjoy all the football and thank you very much for listening the athletic